Dear Lord, thank you for giving us today. Thank you for bringing everyone here safely and just giving us this opportunity just to gather together and worship you and study your word, Lord, and just be with Pastor Jesse and give him the words to speak tonight. And just pray. Amen. So one of my favorite parts about that game is to see how some of you start the game. Like you'll send me your name and then you'll send me your grade and then you never send another text the entire game. You just like give up at the very beginning. And then there's some of you who also give up, but in a different way, you just continue to send random text the entire game. Um, when I, I've cleared them out now, surprisingly, I had 287 text messages when that game was over. So I'm, I'm impressed. That may be the biggest number that I've ever had before. So uh, let me ask you guys a question to start off tonight. Has anybody in here ever been hurt by a friend? Okay, a lot, a lot of hands go up. All right. Now, what, I ask that question, and, and when I say that, I mean, let me give you a, a, some context for what I'm saying. I'm talking about a friend, not, not necessarily like a friend has physically, okay, how many have been physically hurt by a friend? Okay. That, what's that? My son did what? Hey, that's, that's not hard to do. Um, most of y'all know my oldest son, Nathan. He's off at college right now. But there was a time we were riding somewhere in my vehicle, and he and I were kind of joking around, and you're not supposed to do that when you're driving, but I did it anyway. And uh, I did something where I, like, fake punched him in the nose, only I misjudged the distance and actually punched him in the nose as we were driving down the road. He was not, he's like, Dad, you hit me. He's like, <laughs> no, that's not funny, son. But... <laughs> I'm not talking about somebody physically. Kathleen's over here like, you shouldn't do that. You're right. It was an accident. I will probably won't do it again. We'll see. But I'm not talking about physical hurt. I'm talking about where they've done something, where they've said something, where it just hurt. And it's not something that you expected. And I think we all kind of know what that feels like, at least to some degree. If you haven't felt that yet from a friend, I hope you never have to, but there's a good chance that you will at some point. And the reason I bring that up tonight is because that's exactly what we're talking about as we get into this next chapter, this next section of chapter four in this book that we're studying. We're going to see Paul's dealing with a hurt. And Paul doesn't do what a lot of times when we think of somebody hurting us, we sometimes think of stereotypes. For instance, when you think about guy friendships, okay, um, the, uh, the stereotype for a guy friendship is if your friend hurts you, you just get over it and move on, right? Like you got, you got a buddy and your buddy steals your girlfriend and steals your dog. And you're like, you know what? I don't care anyway because my girlfriend was me and the dog smelled. Or maybe it was the other way around. I don't know. All right? It just depends on the guy friendship. But that's a stereotype. Or for girls. Some girl in second grade gave you a dirty look. And as a junior in high school, you still want to rip her hair out of her head piece by piece because you are holding a grudge. Again. Hey, stereotypes. I'm not saying that's how everybody reacts, but someone's like, yes, of course it is. I'm going to kill her. We have those stereotypes, but sometimes that is the way that we handle things like that. When a friend hurts us, we may act like it doesn't bother us at all. We may act like everything's fine. We just don't ever talk to them again. Or when a friend hurts us, we hold a grudge and we're angry and we're bitter, and we're hurt by him for a long time. You see, what we're going to see tonight as Paul starts walking through this passage is that he's hurt. 
As we get into these verses, at the very beginning, he uses this word. He says, I, I, I appeal to you, I beseech you, I beg you. He's asking the people he's writing to, to listen to him, because there's a hurt there. Because as we, as we have walked through this book so far, we've seen Paul, he's making this argument. In fact, before we jump into all of that, let's walk through the questions. Who wrote the book of Galatians? Don't make me kick you out of here. Paul, good answer. Book of Galatians written by Paul. When do we believe he wrote it? Long time ago. Good answer. A little more specific. What's that? 45 AD. You're, you're getting close. It's somewhere between. What's that? Around 49 to 54 AD. Somewhere in that time frame. Who was it written to? Did, did y'all say church or churches? Churches, that's right. Remember, it's, it's a multiple group. It's group of churches, okay? It's not just one church. Galatia is this region, and it's to the churches in that region. Why is he writing this to them? Because they're bad? No, not because they're bad. What's that? False teachers. Because Paul, on one of his missionary journeys, helped establish those churches. He taught them the truth of Scripture. He taught them what the Gospel says. And then he left, assuming that that church is going to keep going the way it was going. But in that time, false teachers started finding their way into that church. And those false teachers, yes, they were teaching Jesus. They were teaching what God's Word says. But they were also adding to the Gospel. They were telling them things like, hey, you've, you've got to put your faith and trust in Jesus, but you've also got to do some of these Jewish traditions or these Jewish rituals that Scripture says is not required for salvation. In fact, what's the main theme of the book? Salvation by faith alone. That the only thing that saves you from your sin, the only thing is putting your faith and trust in Jesus. It is salvation by faith alone. And while Paul is gone, these false teachers have started creeping into these churches. And as they've started creeping into these churches, they've brought in these, these misunderstandings, these wrong teachings of what Scripture says. And Paul has spent this entire book so far arguing against that. Talking to the Galatians saying, hey, you need to remember what you knew when you experienced salvation. You need to remember what God did in your life in that moment. And you need to hold true to what you know Scripture says. Because what you're doing right now, it doesn't make any sense. In fact, at one point, he says, it seems like somebody's bewitched you. Somebody has so heavenly influ or hev heavily influenced you that you're not even acting the way that you should act. There's something going on. And Paul has got a desperation with what's going on here. But beginning in verse 12, he goes from making this theological argument that he's been making, this really logical walking through Scripture, this is what it says, this is what you know to be true, he changes when he gets to verse 12. And it goes from being this big theological argument to a personal argument. What we see here as we step into verse 12 is we start to see hurt. Paul doesn't live out those stereotypes. Paul's not holding a grudge. And Paul's not saying everything's fine either. What Paul is doing is he is addressing them with compassion because he has a plea for the people that he cares about. Because he cares about the people in these churches and he is crying out to them as he writes saying, please hear me. Please understand what I'm telling you because what you're doing doesn't make any sense. 
And the reason that matters for us tonight is because as we step into this and walk through this, we can learn from what Paul does. Because when you've got a relationship in your life, when you've got a friendship that is maybe strained or or stressed or there's some kind of tension in that relationship, especially like in this case where it's because there's theological differences, maybe you believe something that somebody else doesn't believe that says they're your friend, maybe at one point in time and you were both in church and you were both walking with God and now it seems like that friend has gone a different direction and that hurts because that friend isn't there anymore. I remember, it's only been a couple years ago, we had one Sunday morning where we had a couple young ladies got baptized and they were so excited and they were best friends and they got baptized together and then one of those friends slowly stopped coming to church, stopped hanging around her friends that said they were Christians and didn't want anything to do with Jesus anymore. And the other young lady was hurt. And see, that's exactly what we see happening here. And Paul is trying to catch them before they go to that extreme in these churches. He's trying to head it off and saying, please listen to me. And that's what we're called to do. And that's why it matters that we're looking at this tonight. Because what we find here tonight in this scripture is that Paul doesn't just hold a grudge and Paul doesn't just walk away. What Paul does is Paul rolls up his sleeves and he decides, you know what? I'm going to take the emotional stress. I'm going to take the strain. I'm going to risk this relationship so that I can make sure they understand the gospel. And that's what we're called to do as disciples. So let's jump into what's going on tonight. We're in Galatians chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 12 through 20. And tonight we've got Miss Riley Flanagan to come up here and read for us. Let's go with mic number two, please. Oh, she's on it. There you go. Let me move my stuff out of your way. I beg you. Wait, I'm sorry. What do we do every week? Stand in honor of reading of God's word. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm forgetting stuff tonight. That's an important thing to forget. I know, I'm slacking, Riley. Thanks for catching me there. Go ahead. I beg of you, brethren, become as I become as I am, for I have also become as you are. You have done me no wrong, but you know that it was always because of a bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you the first time. And that which was a trial to you in my bodily condition, you did not despise or live. But you received me as an angel of God and Jesus Christ himself. Where then is that sense of blessing you had? For I bear you witness that, if possible, you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. So I have become your enemy by telling you the truth. They eagerly seek you, but not commendably. But they wish to shut you out so that you will seek them. But it is good always to eagerly be sought in a commendable manner, and not only when I am present with you. My children with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. But I wish I could be present with you now to, and to change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Okay, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. I ask that you let this message that Pastor Jesse's preaching touch the hearts of those who need it, and that we all get home safe tonight. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you, Miss Riley. Hey, she do a good job? See, y'all, y'all already sat down. I don't have to tell you that right now. So right here in the very first verse, we see this, this plea that Paul starts with. In, in Galatians 4.12, he says, Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. Do y'all know what that word entreat means? 
Interesting? Nope. Anybody? What's it mean? You want to go do it? Mm. Nope. Entreat. E-N-T-R-E-A-T. Pleading. That's it right there. Ashley said it. That word entreat, that's not a word that we use very often. So hey, I had to go, y'all don't even know what this is. I had to go find a thesaurus. Y'all know what that is? And no, it's not a dinosaur. We've been through this. It's a book that tells you other words for the word you're using so you understand it. When I looked it up, listen, the word that it said there, it says, I ask, I plead, I beg. Those are the other words that came up for entreat. And that's exactly what Paul's doing here. We see anguish right here. This, this is not some formal request. He's not going, hey, I would cordially like you to invite me to model your life after I have modeled my life after Christ. He's not saying that. He's saying, I'm begging you. I'm begging you to pay attention to what you're doing. He's saying, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. Now, let me help you understand what that means. When Paul first went to the churches in Galatia, what Paul is talking about there is, is he's, he's Jewish by nationality. His cultural and his national descent, that's who he is. And if you remember, we've talked about this through the Old Testament. There were laws that the Jewish people followed, things that helped them stay holy, things that helped them pursue God, things that made them clean in God's presence. And the problem is that by the time Jesus came on the scene, there were over like 600 of these laws. And what he's saying is, hey, when I came to you, I did not live under those laws. Now understand this, Paul didn't do anything that dishonored God. He didn't do anything that he wasn't supposed to do. But he's saying right there where he says, for I also have become as you are. He's saying, when I was with you, I chose to live apart from those Jewish laws. Because scripture tells us that when we put our faith and trust in Christ, it is salvation by faith only, right? Which means we're not under those laws. Those Old Testament laws, the entire purpose were two things. To help us live a life that was holy before God, which we can never do because we can't keep all of those laws. If you think about all 600 plus laws that the Jewish people had, go all the way back to the first laws that God gave man. Do you remember how many there were? Not the first one. One. In the Garden of Eden, there was one rule. And did man keep it? No. So after that, with Moses, there were ten. And did people keep them? No. The whole purpose of the law was to show us we cannot be holy on our own. We cannot live up to God's standard. We cannot be righteous. We cannot be perfect. We cannot be holy by ourselves because we are sinners. And over time, we will always choose ourself above God. That's what he's talking about right here. He's saying, hey, when I was with you, I didn't follow those traditions, those rituals. I didn't dishonor God, but I didn't follow those things because I wanted you to see that you don't have to follow those things either. And that's why he says, I want you to be as I am. Because he says, you're going back to those things that I never told you you had to be a part of in the first place. You think those are the things that are going to draw you closer to God. And he says, I'm the one that taught you the gospel, and I'm not even living by those things. So be like me. That's why he says elsewhere in scripture, he says, be imitators of me as I am imitated, as I am of Christ. I can say it right. I should be able to say it right. It's right there on the back wall. 
be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Paul's not saying he's perfect, but he's saying, I'm doing everything I can to pursue Jesus Christ and to live out a God-honoring life. And if I'm doing that, come on this journey with me. In fact, there's a passage in uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23. Listen to what Paul wrote here to the Corinthians. He said, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Paul is saying, hey, I'm not doing anything that dishonors God, but I'm going to be the person I need to be so that somebody else can see Jesus Christ. I'm going to live a life that honors God in the best way that I can, but I'm going to be the person that that person needs to see so that they can see Jesus Christ. And a lot of times we don't think that way. If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, a lot of times what we think is, hey, this is how I'm living my life. And if you want to know who Jesus is, hey, you need to come ask me about it. You need to get on board with me and you need to go where I'm going instead of us going, hey, you know what? That person sitting at the lunch table that nobody else is talking to and I've never sat with for the entire year, I'm going to go sit with them today. I'm going to become as they are. I'm going to go where they are. I'm going to meet them where they're at and I'm going to do everything I can to be a part of their world so that I can show them who Jesus is. It doesn't mean you compromise your beliefs. It doesn't mean you, you sacrifice the things that, that you know would dishonor God. It simply means you are willing to meet people where they are so that they can see Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is talking about here. And that's why he's saying, be like me because I became like you. He's saying those false teachers that have come in, they are teaching you things that are putting you back into the slavery of the law that you don't have to live under anymore. Under the law, the law shows us that we're sinners. He writes elsewhere in Scripture that when you are under the law, you are trapped by it. You are suffocated by it. You are in slavery to it. But when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, there's freedom. You're released from the law. You're released from all of that. And he's saying, don't go back to that. He's pleading with them not to return. And then in verse 13, he kind of time travels a little bit because he's going to go back to how his relationship with these people began. He's reminding them of their friendship. Verse 13 says this, You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. Now, we have no idea what this bodily ailment, this illness was. Absolutely no idea. In fact, elsewhere in Scripture, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul's writing and he talks about this thorn in the flesh that he's asked God to remove multiple times and God's not removed it. It never tells us what the problem is. It could be that that's the exact same thing he's talking about right here, but quite frankly, we just don't know. But we do know that whatever it was, it provided an opportunity for Paul to share the gospel to the churches in Galatia. 
It gave him an opportunity to be there and maybe even be stuck there while they took care of him. And it gave him the opportunity to tell them who Jesus was. And there's something that's happening right there that we need to make sure that we don't miss. What we see right there is that any situation can give you the, go- the opportunity to share the gospel with somebody. Any situation. It doesn't matter how great things are going or how bad things are going. If you are intentional, any situation can be an opportunity for you to share the gospel with somebody. That's exactly what Paul is saying he did right here. Whatever this problem was, he tells us it was a burden. Because it says, though my condition was a trial to you, you didn't scorn or despise me. Whatever this was going on with Paul, it was a burden to the Galatians. And they had every opportunity to shut him out, to not have anything to do with him. And yet he says they didn't do that. They took him in and they took care of him. They cared for him. But something has changed. Look at verse 15. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? Paul says, what's changed? We were friends before. We were both following Jesus Christ. What has changed in our relationship? He says right there, he says, what happened to the kindness that you once showed me? He says, they would have gone to extremes before to take care of him. Even as far as gouging out their eye. Now, I don't know that that's a physical thing that actually happened, but in that time in that culture, that was a phrase that was used to express deep friendship. Something that you would go far above and beyond that anybody would expect, hey, I would gouge out my eye for you. I love all of you. I am not gouging out my eyes for you. That is not the context that we live in. But he's basically saying, you would have done anything for me. Something's different now. Paul Paul is genuinely telling them the same thing he's always told them. His message to them hasn't changed. He's preaching the same Jesus. He's preaching the same gospel. He's preaching the exact same salvation by faith that he has done from the moment that he met them, but their reaction to it has changed now. If you've never experienced that in a friendship, I said this earlier, you may one day. You may have a friend that seems like they are pursuing Jesus Christ with you and then at some point, they start going in a different direction. And a lot of times it's because they're listening to outside voices just like these churches in Galatia. They were listening to these false teachers. They were listening to these outside voices and little by little, they were turning away from the truth of Scripture. And you're going to have people in your life if you continue to pursue Jesus Christ that are going to do the exact same thing to you. If you were here last week for uh, revival, the pastor that was preaching, he actually said one night, he said, if you pursue Jesus Christ, you don't have to leave your friends because some of them will leave you. And that's exactly what's happening right here. They're listening to other voices. They're listening to other things. And because they are, they're stepping away from the truth of the gospel. And Paul is pleading to them, don't pursue those other things because it hurts when people do that. It hurts because it feels like a betrayal. And it's usually the result of those different voices. That's what he says in verse 17. He says, they make much of you, 
but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. Paul is pointing clearly to who's to blame for the Galatians stepping away from the gospel. He says it's these false teachers. And he says they're doing this. They're treating you special. But the only reason they're treating you special is because they want you to treat them in a special way. He's saying, guys, it's not about you at all. It's about them. Maybe you've experienced this at school. Maybe you've experienced this on a, on a ball team. Maybe somebody does something nice for you, gives you some kind of compliment, but it's not because they genuinely care about you. It's because they want to turn around and go, oh, you look awesome too. Because now you've made them feel special. I'll be honest with you, that's why I'm not on Twitter. Anybody in here on Twitter? Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Twitter's for old people, by the way, just so you know. I'm glad to see nobody's hands are up. Here's, here's what I started to discover for the time that I was on there. Everybody's just feeding each other's egos. Somebody would post something and everybody's comment, oh, and well, I know you see this on Instagram too. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, you're doing great. Or you post a picture on Instagram. Oh, you look pretty. Oh, that's beautiful. That dress is amazing. That outfit looks awesome. And I'm not saying some of that's not genuine. Don't, don't mishear me here. But sometimes it's not. Sometimes you post something like that or someone posts something like that because you want the feedback. You do it because you want people to tell you. Or I've seen this and I've been guilty of this. You go on a mission trip and you do something nice for somebody else and all of a sudden you post a picture because, hey, look, I'm doing an amazing thing and all of a sudden, oh, that's awesome. You should be so proud of yourself. You're doing great things. You're helping other people. God bless you. All of these different things. And while those may be genuine, it feels good to get those comments, doesn't it? So the next thing we know, we post another picture and another picture. Because what they're doing is they're making much of us. That's what Paul's talking about. He's saying, believers, those people that are coming in, they're making you feel special because they just want you to make them feel special. They don't actually care about you. It's all about them. That's why he goes on and he says in the, uh, the next verse there, he says, it's always good to be made much of for a good purpose and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. In verse 17, he said, they want to shut you out that you make, may, may make much of them. So he kind of shifts his thinking there. He says, hey, they're making you feel special, so you'll make them feel special. And then he, he points out another social tactic that I've seen play out before, and you probably have experienced it if you didn't recognize it, where somebody will completely ignore you until you do what they want you to do. And all of a sudden, now you can be in their friend group. You see this with toddlers all the time. Man, you go out on a playground, you can't play with us unless you're doing this or you're doing that. And you turn around and you do that. Okay, come on, you can be our friend now. You've seen it. Maybe you've done it. Maybe you've experienced it. That's what he's talking about. He's saying now they're going to they're gonna shut you out until you do what they want you to do. Until you give into these traditions. Until you give into these rituals. And as soon as you do, they'll welcome you. In, but it's not, again, because you're special. It's because you're making them feel special. Paul says, don't fall for it. Don't believe the lies. If you're going to do anything, continue to pursue Christ. And we see that 
same anguish. It's always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Paul is not angry about what they're doing. Paul is hurt. Paul is grieved. He compares what he's feeling to the pains of childbirth. Now, as a man, Paul has absolutely no idea what that's really like. Because no man can. I don't care what science tells you. I've been present for three children birthed into this world. I can't begin to imagine the pain that was experienced in any of those situations. But I imagine he's using his imagination there. Paul is finding the closest thing he can to express the anguish that he feels over what's happening to these believers. Because if you think about it this way, Paul was there when they put their faith and trust in Christ. Paul was there when they were reborn spiritually. He saw that. He got to experience that. And now he's saying, I'm going back and it's like we're having to do this whole thing all over again. Paul says, don't let it be that way. Don't follow them. He says in verse 20, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed by you. He doesn't understand what they're doing, but he still loves them. And he's willing to speak that truth in love, even when it strains their relationship. Because he cares that much about who God has called the Galatians to be, that he is willing to risk the relationship that he has with them. He's willing to risk their rejection. He's willing to risk their anger, all so that he can share the love of Jesus Christ. And, and as we wrap this up here tonight, I want to ask you one question. Willing to risk the relationships in your life for the sake of the gospel of Jesus. Think about that for a second. Think about your family. Think about your friends, your teammates, the people you sit next to in class. Are you willing to risk the relationship in order to share the love of the gospel of Jesus Christ? When, when you have a friend that's hurting and confused by struggles in their life, do you just give them the latest advice that you found in an internet article or on social media? Or are you willing to risk the relationship to point them towards the only solution that they have, and that's Jesus? That's what's happening right here. When you have that friend who at one time was in step with you, following Jesus Christ, and now it looks like in their life they are following anything but Jesus, are you willing to risk the relationship to share the gospel? That's what Paul is doing here. And every single one of us has the opportunity to speak the truth of the gospel into the lives of the people that we love, knowing, knowing that it may put us at odds with him knowing that they may not talk to us anymore, knowing that they may be mad at us, knowing that it's going to cause emotional stress and it's going to cause drama and it's going to cause all kinds of stuff that we really just don't want to deal with. Paul knew that, but Paul was willing to risk it because that's how important the gospel was and that's how much he loved these people. He cared more about who God had called and created them to be than whether or not they were mad at him. Are you 
willing to risk the relationships in your life so that you can share the love of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Will you do that? That may mean sharing with somebody that's in this room tonight that you know is here, that doesn't know Jesus. Are you willing to take that risk? Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you that we can come together tonight and worship you. God, help us to be bold. Lord, help us to be willing to take the risk to tell people about who you are. Help us to look at our friends and our family and our teammates and our classmates and everybody else in our lives, Lord, and see them the way that you see them. See them in desperate need of a relationship with your son, Jesus. God, give us the boldness to be willing to share. God, we thank you for who you are. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.